Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. Before we get started today, I'd like to take a moment to thank our military service personnel who tune in each week from remote outposts, as well as foreign listeners who are joining us from around the world today. Thank you for your emails and for inviting the Costa Report into your lives and homes. Our guest last week was 24-year espionage and intelligence veteran with the Central Intelligence Agency, Mr. Henry Crumpton. Crumpton explained why, following the events of 9-11 in an unprecedented move, President Bush put the CIA in charge of operations in Afghanistan. He also expressed concerns that so much money is being spent on security and intelligence in Washington, D.C., that there is a duplication of effort and agencies are tripping over each other. If you missed the full interview with Crumpton, it's available at our website at RebeccaCosta.com, and you can also download it from Apple iTunes and Podbean. Our guest today is founder of one of my favorite sources for unbiased up to the minute political reporting. In just a moment, Tom Bevan will be with us to tell us why sites like Real Clear Politics are growing in popularity, as well as why the mainstream media is divided along partisan lines more than ever before. Mr. Bevan resides and works in the beautiful city of Chicago, Illinois. He attended Princeton University, where he earned his degree in history. Following his studies at Princeton, Bevan spent 10 years working in the advertising and communications industry. Then in 2000, he launched the Real Clear Politics website with fellow classmate from Princeton, John McIntyre. According to the two founders, they were frustrated with the ideological bias they witnessed in the media, and they wanted to do something about it. Their idea was to do intelligent aggregation, a process wherein they would collect and publish credible articles from both sides of the political spectrum, as well as compile data from multiple polling sources in order to create a realistic polling average. Since that time, their polling average, election analysis, and commentary have been featured in every major news outlet from the New York Times, CNN, and Fox News to CBS News, The Economist, The Washington Post, and The Chicago Sun-Times. In 2007, Forbes Media purchased a 51% stake in Real Clear Politics. Today, Real Clear Politics also owns Real Clear Markets, Real Clear World, Real Clear Sports, Real Clear Science, and Real Clear Religion. In a nutshell, Bevan and McIntyre have a runaway brand on their hands. It's my great pleasure to have with us today on the Costa Report, the founder of one of the last bastions of objective political journalism, Mr. Tom Bevan. Welcome to the program, Mr. Bevan. Hey, Rebecca. Great to be with you. 
Now, I've already admitted that I'm a big fan of Real Clear Politics, and many of the journalists I know also rely on this site. So perhaps you can explain to our listeners today what made you to deci- decide to invest in a site that aggregated polling information and news from the left and right in order to make it available in one central location. Well, I mean, our story is kind of interesting because, uh, as you kind of mentioned in the in the intro, uh, you know, I was involved in, in advertising communications. I wasn't uh, involved in politics or journalism professionally. Neither was my co-founder, John McIntyre. He was a trader by, by profession. And, um, you know, we were just political junkies. We followed, followed elections and, and politics with a passion. And back in the late 90s, um, <clears throat> middle to late 90s was really when, you know, it was the first time where, where a lot of publications were coming online. It was the first time where you could wake up in the morning and read what was being written in the LA Times and the New York Times on the same day. Mm-hmm. And that sort of sparked the idea for us to, to produce a, a clearinghouse um, where we would gather up all of the best information, news, analysis, uh, opinion, and, and put it all in one place for, again, for to basically create a site for people like us because we figured if we were passionate about politics in this way that that there were millions of other folks out there like us. And and so that was sort of the idea behind uh, Real Clear Politics. So and did this course, begin we, as more of a convenience? You were thinking, gee, if we could just aggregate everything in one site, that's what we would want, so we're going to build something that we would use and we would like. Well, exactly. I mean, we built it out of, out of you know, sort of what we, what you know, we liked um, what we thought other people would like, uh, you know, basically a one-stop shop mm-hmm. for for political news and information and for election analysis. And and as you mentioned, we were the, the, the innovators of, of the poll average, um, which was sort of a revolutionary concept at the time and has only become more so as, as more, you know, there's been such a proliferation of, of polling data over the last 10 years that, that the averages have really become a sort of an invaluable uh, and, and quite accurate uh, tool for, for measuring exactly where a race or any sort of metric, for example, presidential job approval, we measure um, Congress's job approval, the right direction, wrong track of the country, those sorts of metrics. Right. Now, um, now I just want to interrupt and, and point out for people who have not been to the Real Clear Politics website that you make a point of showing the polling data from each of these polls. You don't just publish the average. You show the source data so that what's really interesting is you could take the average and compare it against any particular poll and see how right or wrong they are. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and again, we've kept it very, very simple. I mean, there are other people who've, who've sort of copied what we do, but have also sort of, you know, they do all sorts of sort of weird black box, you know, weighting of, of this and that. And we just take a simple average because in our, you know, in our experience and our analysis, um, that's that that is what tends to produce the the most accurate representation of, of, you know, again, where a race is. And, and you're right, and I mean, just we, so we people link all know, of this stuff yeah. so people can actually dig through um, not only the, the individual guts of any any poll and then drill down as far as they want, or they can just take a look at sort of the, the top line average. Right. And just so people know, what kinds of polls do you include? So because I think it's important to know that you're not looking for extreme left or extreme right polls. You're taking the most respected polls in the United States. So, well, so mention right. some of them that you use as source data. Well, we use we use the polls from all the major outlets, news outlets, you know, NBC, Wall Street Journal poll, ABC News, Washington Post poll, CBS, New York Times poll, obviously Gallup, USA Today, 
Um, you know, Gallup does a, uh, also does a tracking poll. Rasmussen Reports does a tracking poll that we include. Our main criteria, number one, it has to be a, a, an established polling asset that has a, a track record, has a reputation. Um, you know, and, and the other thing is we don't include um, any, any Internet-based polls. They, these are all uh, still phone, you know, uh, they're, they're phone calls. Some are automated, but, but most are still live people uh, making these phone calls. We don't include any Internet-based polls. And we also don't include any polls that are um, what they call panel respondents. So, for example, the YouGov does a poll where they're, they go back and interview the same people uh, every week or every two weeks to see how those people's attitudes are changing over time. But it's not an actual true random sample poll where, you know, every three or four weeks, like, for example, the NBC Wall Street Journal, they're just dialing randomly and they're getting a completely different sample every time they go into right. the field. Right. So those are sort of the basic metrics that we use. Mm-hmm. Now, how many people visit this site and take a look at the polls and the aggregated news articles that you've uh, collected from both the left and right? And then, and how have you seen that grow over time? Well, we've seen it grow. Um, you know, obviously our business is, is cyclical and presidential races especially are produce the largest spikes in traffic. Um, mm-hmm. So we're in sort of the, the middle of one now, although it will grow significantly more intense in the post-Labor Day period as, as you get a, a broader majority of the country sort of dialing in and trying to figure out, you know, who they want to vote for and looking at the issues and whatnot. But, I mean, we currently are, are reaching about, you know, 6 million unique visitors every single month. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, our, our traffic growth over time, you know, has been – uh, higher highs and higher lows. We've grown sort of almost exclusively organically. We haven't spent any money on advertising or promotion. Uh, it's just more and more people find out about us, and every election we get an influx of people, and, and a few more people like us and bookmark us and stick around. And so it's been a, a pretty consistent pattern of growth over time, punctuated by, uh, you know, obviously some, some large spikes around, uh, you know, the, the midterm and presidential elections. Well, I have to say I'm not at all surprised to hear that you have 6 million unique visitors every month. Now we have to take a short commercial break. And when we come back, I'd like to dive into the upcoming 2012 election. You're listening to the Costa Report. There's no question that selling a home can be a tricky business when the economy is uneven. But here's a little bit of good news. Not only are financing options opening up, America's love affair with the Monterey Peninsula still continues. Homes that are priced and marketed right are moving. Hi, I'm Judy Profeta, owner-broker of Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel, where we're happy to report that inventories are coming down and homes are selling. So if you're getting ready to sell or listing your home, call Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel at 831-622-1040. Or stop by our offices on the corner of Ocean and Dolores or our main office on Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. Alon Pinnell Realtors, serious brokers for serious sellers. 
If you're anything like me, you're scratching your head and wondering what in the world is going on. We have plenty of technology and more resources and knowledge than at any other time in human history. But we just don't seem to be able to solve our problems anymore. They just get bigger and bigger. What's worse is we know what's going to happen if we continue down this path. And it isn't pretty. So that's why I'm asking you, nope. I'm pleading with you to take a moment to read the watchman's rattle, because when you do, you'll be able to spot the five impediments which stand in the way of solving our greatest threats. You'll also discover what you can do about them. Go to RebeccaCosta.com or your favorite bookstore and grab a copy of the watchman's rattle. Don't wait. If you care one iota about what's happening to the life you love, you owe it to yourself to read the watchman's rattle. It may have taken seven years to write, but you can order it in under a minute. There's lots of ways to sum up toughness. Tough as nails, tough cookie, tough love, and tough as leather. But what's tougher than talking tough? Actually being tough. Like the Kubota RTV 1140 CPX from CNN Tractors. One of the toughest, hardest working, most versatile utility vehicles on the planet. Equipped to convert easily from two-person to four-person seating. With a hydraulic dumping bed that makes it perfect for hauling and dumping chores. Plus, it has a 24.8 horsepower Kubota diesel engine a variable hydro transmission, and hydrostatic power steering. The RTV 1140 CPX is one tough, versatile machine. Test drive it now at CNN Tractors in Watsonville. Kubota, everything you value. See the full line at CNN Tractors in Watsonville or online at cnntractors.com. CNN Tractors, give us your tough jobs. Tune in to the Sentinel Radio program Saturday morning at 8 a.m. right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Brought to you by First Church of Christ Scientist Monterey. Come into our Christian Science Community Reading Room and Bookstore and find comfort from the challenges you're facing. We have the resources that will connect you with your God-given substance. Find help now. Our address is 780 Abrego Street in Monterey. Reach out for this help today. Come in and visit or call 831-372-5076. 372-5076. Our fraudulent paper. EIB and they'll be riot. They maneuver. Planned Parenthood. You can believe the rule of the Southern government. And now they're openly doing it. An arrogant, full-fledged snob. And you vote no 10% of what you think of the law. It was soon passed. Blah, Don't worry. Be happy. More positive radio, Sundays at 4. I'm not worried. Right here on AM 1080. KSEO. I'm happy. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is the co-founder of Real Clear Politics, Mr. Tom Bevan. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that the success of Real Clear Politics can be best measured by the fact that 6 million unique, unique visitors go to the site each month. And I am proud to say that I am one of them as well. So now last month, your latest book, Election 2012, Time for Choosing, was released. And in it, you break the race for the Republican nomination down, including an analysis of Mitt Romney's inability to eliminate his competitors early. And as an outsider, it, it almost looked as if the other contenders just self-imploded one by one until Mitt Romney was the last man standing. Or, or is that perception wrong? No, I think that's right. Um, you know, the, the, it's interesting that 
sort of one of the stories of the 2012 race really are, are the people who chose not to run uh, on the Republican side. You remember, obviously, Mitch Daniels, Chris Christie, uh, Haley Barber, Mike Huckabee. A lot of these folks were considered to be very formidable. They had good support from the Tea Party. They would have been, you know, very, very uh, well financed and, and really a, a real threat to Mitt Romney. Uh, obviously, those folks didn't run. And the ones who did run, um, while they each enjoyed a period of, of popularity and success, none of them really had the organization or the manpower uh, to withstand Romney's operation. And, you know, for example, I mean, Rick Santorum, you know, while Mitt Romney had a, an army of lawyers who were uh, looking at getting him on the ballot in all these different states, they were checking the deadlines, they were organizing uh, volunteers to get the signatures into the Secretary of State's office. Uh, Rick Santorum's ballot access team was his daughter, Elizabeth, and one of her college friends. And they were effectively in charge of trying to get Santorum on the ballot. And one of the key moments in the campaign came when he was unable to make the ballot in Virginia, which is a state he would have won easily had he been on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't. And, and Mitt Romney, that was a winner-take-all state. And Mitt Romney scooped up those delegates. And, and you know, you asked Santorum's team about that. And they said, well, when, when we were, you know, when we were supposed to be getting those signatures and having them, you know, filing them, Rick Santorum was still... Basically, he had one aide. He was out in the middle of nowhere in Iowa, you know, shaking three or four hands at a time. He was a, an asterisk in the polls. He just didn't have the he didn't have the manpower. He didn't have the money. And and even though you know Santorum enjoyed a lot of success, he did end up raising a lot of money after he sort of became the the alternative for Romney. He just couldn't overcome the organizational disadvantage that that, that they but were at. Isn't that one Romney. of the litmus tests that we put these candidates through? Is their ability to pull together an organization and then to lead it effectively? It's kind of a I don't know a mini litmus test for how they would do once <clears throat> they land in the White House. Sure, to a certain degree, but again, I mean that's that's also a reason that you know traditionally folks who have done this gone through the gauntlet before. Um, you know, this, this was one of Romney's strengths. I mean, he had all of these ties. He had all of these supporters from his run four years ago that were lined up and to reactivate. Meanwhile, you know, Rick Santorum was sort of putting this thing together on the, literally on the fly. I mean, it was, and it's just a really, really tough thing to do. That was one of the things that was so impressive about what Barack Obama did in his run against Hillary Clinton, because she was obviously the establishment candidate who had, uh, you know, tons of money and tons of backing and he was building things from scratch. And he managed to topple her. Obviously, the Republican side, um, you know, and, and part of the reason was because the Republican base was was fractured. I mean, they, they were sort of, you know, trying on each one of these candidates would give them a moment in the sun. And to your point earlier, you know, a few of them really didn't handle it well. Obviously, Rick Perry imploded, Herman Cain imploded, um, and, and, you know, Newt Gingrich imploded and then came back and then imploded again. So uh, it was just a, it was one of those situations where Mitt Romney turned out to be uh, he, he was very lucky in, in the choice of his opponents who he ended up running against. Do you believe that folks like Christie, who we know very powerful Republicans, were on their knees begging him to, to run um, based on his record and his popularity? Uh, they felt that he had a really good shot. Do you believe that, and you make the point that many people stayed out of the race and that's kind of the story that no one's covering is why didn't they why didn't they join when they had so much support and organizational strength do you think it's because they knew Romney's uh, organization and they knew that they'd really have a tough time building something on the fly that could take him on 
I don't think so. I mean, we went back. And this, uh, well, then why do you, you think know, they this, stayed out? Well, that's a good question. And we went back. This was part of our, our first ebook, which was released back in uh, November of last year. We went back and interviewed all of Mitch Daniels' inner circle. Uh, we interviewed all of, you know, uh, Haley Barber's folks. We interviewed, mm-hmm. you know, Mike Huckabee's folks. And, and in each case, it was different. I mean, in, in Mitch Daniels' case, for example, he really did. He was ready to go. He wanted to. He wanted to run. But his family basically... He allowed them to have a veto, and and they exercised it. Um, Haley Barber, you know, we talked to him directly about this. Uh, he just didn't have. He, it was a commitment that he wasn't willing to make. He he was looking at a ten year. You know, he, he thought, look, I'm I'm going to have to run for two years, and I might have to govern for four years, and I'm going to have to run again and maybe govern for. So, you know, it was it was a ten year, at least a ten year commitment. And some folks were even looking at it. You know, it does. It changes your life forever. It's not just once you're president, you know, you have secret service forever. You're forever in the public eye. Um, it's not just like you can sort of go away. And that was one of the issues with the, with uh, Mitch Daniels' wife and his daughters. That's not something that they, they uh, were looking for. Mike Huckabee, for example, he was sort of happy with his situation at Fox News. He's got a TV show. He has a radio gig. Um making a lot of money. And he actually thought that, that his time was going to be in 2016. And, and Ed Rollins, who, who put together the blueprint for Huckabee, was urging him. He said, no, Mike, this is it. This is your time right now. Um, so they weren't, really, they weren't really scared of Romney. I mean, I think all of them thought that Romney was weak. He was a sort of fragile frontrunner, which is exactly what he turned out to be. Um, and, and it was more just the sort of, you know, the, the interpersonal dynamics that were going on that, that caused these candidates for their, for their own reasons uh, to opt out of the race. Well, now, you know, you hear all the pundits say that this coming election is going to hinge entirely on how the economy is doing in November. So let's say it's doing much better. If it's doing much better, then how is Romney going to counter that? Oh, well, he's not. I mean, <laughs> if, if, he, if, if the economy is doing much better, I mean, Romney's going to have to continue to make the case that you know, it, it's interesting, but Obama's right now trying to make, he's trying to prove the negative, right? He's trying to say, look, the economy's not great, it's going in the right direction, but it would be, you know, it would be a lot worse but for the steps that we took when I first took office, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a persuasive argument. It's not one that wins an election to sort of prove the negative, that things would be so much worse if I hadn't done these things. Well, if, if, the, if the economy does get better, it'll be Romney who'll be trying to prove the negative. I mean, he will continue to argue, well... You know, okay, the the economy has gotten better, but it'd be so much better if you know I was an officer, if if Obama hadn't done these things. And again, that won't necessarily be a very persuasive message. I mean, I think I think the Obama team has basically resigned themselves to the fact, though, and you look at all the economic projections that that the economy is not going to get better between now and and November. Um, It's going to languish, you know, in low low GDP growth. Ken, is there any indication Obama can win if the economy gets worse or does not improve? Uh, if it gets worse, I think he's, he's probably going to lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's where things stand right now, which is, you know, 8%, 8.2% unemployment. Uh, you know, we are creating some jobs every month, but certainly not a lot. Uh, you know, he's right on the borderline. I mean, really, mm-hmm. there, he still has enough folks who are out there who, who don't blame him. They know he inherited a mess. They're still cutting him some slack on that front. Um, there are some folks who still are looking at the economy and they're starting to be hopeful that things might get better next year, the year after. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's, he's right on the bubble right now. I now, think. I hate to interrupt you. We, have to, go, yeah, we have to go to a commercial break. When we come back, we'll continue to talk about some of those polling numbers. You're listening to the Costa Report.
If your house has been on the market for more than three months, you might be asking yourself whether your agent is doing everything they can to sell it. Here's one way to tell if your agent is serious. They've talked to you about staging to sell. That's right, staging to sell. That's what they do at point of entry. They work with top realtors to capitalize on the first impression a buyer has of your home. Whether you live in a mansion or a planned community, every home has strengths and weaknesses. When the experts at point of entry stage to sell, they artfully accentuate a property's greatest strength and downplay its weaknesses. Just last month, the broker called Point of Entry to rescue a home that had been sitting on the market for over two years. The owners had almost given up. Point of Entry staged the home, and within two weeks, the property sold within 5% of the asking price. If you have a home that isn't selling, contact the experts at Point of Entry at 925-330-8558 for an assessment. It's a tough market out there, so I'm going to give you that phone number one more time, 925-330-8558. Let Point of Entry show you how staging to sell can help you move that property today. I'm Professor Burke from the University of Farmers, and this is a pop quiz. Does sitting on your wallet feel like sitting on a lopsided booster seat? No? Well, it should. See, Farmers agents can help you stuff your wallet by combining auto and home policies so you can walk tall, sit crooked, and hopefully find a decent chiropractor. If you want answers about saving money, you want a Farmers agent. We are insurance. We are Farmers. Bum, ba, da, bum, 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 bum. Call Jerry Seagraves and the Seagraves team at 831-464-1870. Welcome to Automated Computer Services, America's most drawn-out tech support line. For our hours of operation, press 2. To speak with a customer service representative, press 3. To leave a message about how frustrated you are, press 4. Hello, you've reached our complaint department. If you'd like to leave a complaint, press the star key. For verbal complaints, press 1. For threats, press 2. If you plan to use explosives, press 3. I'm sorry, the mailbox for our explosive threat department is currently full. Tired of unfriendly computer support? Hi, I'm Peter from User-Friendly Computing. Visit us today at 505 River Street on the way to downtown Santa Cruz, across from Gateway Plaza. Don't know what's wrong with your computer, but want us to check it out? Mention KSCO and get a free $50 diagnostic. Call us today at 423 423- 9653. That's your friendly computer experts at 423-9653. User-friendly computing. Can you tell if the leftovers from this dinner party are beginning to grow bacteria that could lead to severe diarrhea, vomiting, and stomach cramps? Listen. Can't. Can you? You can't see it either. Make sure your leftovers are as safe as they are delicious. Get them into the refrigerator as soon as possible and transfer them into shallow containers. Spoiled leftovers can make you very sick or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by chilling food promptly and properly. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Hi, Jacoby here, host of Raising the Standards, right here on KFCO Saturdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Tune in and join me, Rachel, my co-host, our buddy Rick, and some of the most interesting folks in the world as we chat and play the best music on the planet. And remember, if at some point during the program you're not offended, well, you're just not listening. Raising the Standards, Saturdays here on KSEO, 3 to 5.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm here today with co-founder of one of my favorite websites, Real Clear Politics, with Mr. Tom Bevan. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that the Obama organization may be bracing for no improvement or even worsening in the economy. And along those lines, in your new book, Election 2012, Time for Choosing, you describe their attack on Romney as a kitchen sink approach. Can you explain to our listeners today what you mean by that? Sure. I mean, the, the, the Obama team started off, they kind of knew uh, or had it in their minds that Romney was going to be the nominee. They couldn't really foresee anyone else sort of making their way through and becoming the nominee, and they turned out to be correct in that. And, and they actually spent money during the Republican primary with ads against Romney, and their attack against Romney was that he had no core. He was a flip-flopper. I mean, this was, they sort of followed up and amplified the Republican, uh, you know, the the, the, uh, the argument of some of his competitors that he was this guy who really just didn't have a core. Um, as, as the race moved along, they sort of shifted gears and, and argued that, no, in fact, he does have a core, but it's rotten, that he's, he's this rich Wall Street sort of greedy guy who, uh, you know, wants to give tax breaks for the rich and sort of shaft the middle class. Um, but along the way, the the Obama team and, and their surrogates really sort of um, were willing to basically use whatever weapon was at hand and throw it at Romney. I mean, the, the argument that, you know, he's mean to dogs or this thing that he was a bully in school, this one story, and they tried to make that into the issue. So are they being and opportunistic so, as they see an opportunity? They rally around that particular sure, issue? Sure, absolutely. That's exactly. I mean, anything that's, again... <clears throat> they really haven't had a coherent narrative. They just, in the last couple of weeks, really sort of have focused on a coherent uh, narrative against Romney, and they've really, they've really dialed in on the fact that, you know, he's, he's this pioneer of outsourcing, and he's got Swiss bank accounts. And again, they're, they're focused on the, he's, he's the rotten core argument, if you will, um, that, that he's, he, he's, it's not that he's a flip-flopper, um, it's that he has very sort of, strong convictions that he's been taken over by the the tea party um and that he's it's really they want to make him you know part of out of the mainstream as a radical and try and disqualify him as an alternative to obama in the general election okay so we can see how the candidates are going to be painted we can see that romney's going to be painted as a maniacal businessman who's going to run the whole country like a business and uh and a few people will get wealthy off of it and everyone else will pay the price on the other side we have mr charity He'll, uh, Mr. Robin Hood, he'll rob from the rich and uh, provide services to illegal immigrants and every other thing. And, and we'll, we're just going to go down the poor house. It seems as though, you know, we've already heard these arguments before. Every election, we seem to marginalize these candidates and make them one-dimensional caricatures. So what do the recent polls tell you about how people perceive this kind of campaigning? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, they, you know, the public uh, isn't thrilled with uh, with negative attacks, and they're typically turned off by them. And yet, that's where we are. I mean, we had literally yesterday morning we had uh, you know Obama's uh, campaign having a conference call suggesting that in no uncertain terms that Mitt Romney was a felon and committed a crime. Um, you know, and we had uh, Romney had that morning also calling the president in no uncertain terms a liar saying that his attacks have been misleading and dishonest. So 
Um, and again, there's going to be you know hundreds of millions of dollars spent in this campaign. We've already seen the Obama team spend about a hundred million dollars, and not all across the nation, in in a few targeted swing states, trying to frame this election and in trying to frame again Mitt Romney as a person because they want this to be a choice and not a referendum on Barack Obama's first term in office. Uh, they want again they want to disqualify Mitt Romney in the eyes, especially of independents who are still the persuadable slice of the electorate. Um, and that's really what this all comes down to. And again, you know, Republicans have lined up pretty solidly behind Romney and Democrats are lined up very solidly behind Obama. And so we're talking about 15, 20% of the electorate in, in again, 10 to 12 swing states. We're talking about a universe of about three to 4 million people who will decide this election. Well, you've mentioned the independents. Where do they seem to be swinging? Well, I mean, here's the thing. They, the independents, a lot of them voted for Barack Obama four years ago. Mm-hmm. They still like him as a person. They think he's a good husband, a good father, all of that. Um, they think he's a nice guy. But they don't like his policies. They don't like where the economy is. And and so they're open. They, they can still be won back by Obama, but they're certainly they're open, if not leaning, uh, you know, to, to an alternative. And that obviously is Mitt Romney. So a lot of these swing states, Obama has, <clears throat> he has a slim lead in most of the swing states. He's under 50% in all of them, um, which is a warning sign for an incumbent. Obviously, his job approval rating is, you know, a good three or four points below the 50% mark in a lot of these states. And a lot of a lot of uh, independents are saying that he doesn't deserve to win re-election. So he, this is going to be a very, uh, I think, pitched battle for that the be, hearts that of That may hinge on how the independents go. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, both sides are going to are going to do their best to turn out their base. And it looks like Republicans have a bit of uh, an enthusiasm edge. I mean, Republican, and not because they like Mitt Romney. In fact, they're telling they're telling pollsters they're excited to turn out because they want to vote against Obama by about two thirds to one third. Um, and Obama has seen some slippage in his in his coalition. I mean, young people aren't as enthusiastic. We saw that number come out from Gallup today that they're they're not as enthusiastic. Uh, this time around as it were last time. Um, well, now, these days, the election always seems to hinge on a couple of swing states. So in your view, how likely is it going to get down to two or three states? And is there any possibility we're going to see a Bush-Gore type of neck-and-neck competition in one state? Uh, it's possible. I mean, look, the, the universe of swing states right now is about 9 to 12, depending on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... You know, it's, it's, it's the typical, the usual suspects. It's Florida. It's Ohio. Um, Virginia is actually going to be uh, one, of the, one of the states that is critical for Mitt Romney to win or Obama to win. Um, and then, obviously, uh, some states out in the West, Colorado and Nevada, are two that people are looking at very closely. But also others in the Midwest. These are states that, again, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, states that Obama won. All these states are states Obama won in 2008. And, and certainly in the case of Iowa and Wisconsin and Michigan, they were states that they had hoped to have locked down uh, at this point in the contest, but they haven't. I mean, it's, it's, they're still going to be very competitive. And so he's going to have to spend a lot of time defending his positions there. So I would imagine you're looking carefully at the independence in those 9 to 12 states. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's every time we get a poll, we look at the top line number, and then you go look at where independents are. <clears throat> and and. You know, it's been interesting because at the national level, for example, we had two polls come out to this week, an ABC News Washington Post poll that had that had the two men tied, Obama and Romney, at 47 nationally, 
But if you looked at independence, Romney was leading by about 14%. And so part of what the pollsters are, are doing is they're trying to project what the electorate is going to look like in November. That's part of the art of, of polling as opposed to science. They're, they have to make assumptions about who's going to go to the polls in November. Is it going to look more like the 2008 election where Obama, his base turned out in big numbers? He had a lot of new voters, um, a lot of young voters. And he won a lot of independence, or is it going to look more like the 2010 electorate, or even the 2004 electorate, where, you know, Republicans turned out in big numbers and independents swung, uh, you know, were leaning Republicans. So that's a lot of. of well, of what's I hate going to underestimate the number of people that turned out to vote in a historic election where we were about ready to elect our first black president. And since, you know, we are a fickle society, once that event came and went, I don't know that those people will turn out again. There's not really a new historic precedence to be set. Well, that's right. And not only that, uh, you know, look, it's he was Obama was I mean, someone had a great line. They said the souffle only rises once. Right. He was the, the young, fresh face. He was full of optimism and hope and aspiration. He was running on all these promises. He can't be that candidate anymore. That that sort of train has left the station. He is now, and this is why his team has really had had trouble over the last few weeks, because they, they are constrained by the reality of the situation. They can't make fantastic promises. They have to defend, you know, where things are now, um, which is not great. And, and people aren't necessarily happy with it. And while, again, while some voters are still open-minded and cut him slack, um, at the same time, they, you know, he's been in office now for four years. And so... To, to, for him to continue to say, you know, it's, it's someone else's fault or, you know, if my policies uh, hadn't been in place, we'd, you know, things would be a lot worse. Those sorts of excuses were thin with voters who are looking around and, you know, the day-to-day reality is they see folks who are, you know, friends. You're, you're absolutely, I, I think you're absolutely right. You summarized it perfectly. Now we have to take our last break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the mainstream media. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hello, my name is Tom Burkhart, founder and CEO of Savant Investment Group. We recently opened an office on the Monterey Peninsula headed by local 22-year resident Peter Truman. Our firm began working with clients in the Bay Area 20 years ago. We understand the anxiety of the typical investor, particularly in these volatile times. We're SEC registered, we don't sell products, and we don't receive commissions. We are fee-only advisors. We have our own skilled six-person investment committee consisting of two PhDs and two chartered financial analysts. In fact, they manage my money. We manage accounts for $1 million and above. You can reach us at 1-800-672-8268, 1-800-672-8268, and visit our website at www.savantig.com. Again, www.savantig.com. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, author of The Watchman's Rattle and host of The Costa Report. I've spent a lot of time crisscrossing the country this past year, speaking at conferences, corporations, civic and nonprofit meetings, and also in our nation's capital. And wherever I go, I encounter the same problem. People are overwhelmed by the amount of data and the complexity they're now responsible for. Every 18 months, data densities are doubling. But the apparatus that has to process all that data, our brains, require millions of years to develop new features. No wonder we can't tell a fact from an opinion anymore. If you're part of an organization that's looking for new strategies to energize and inspire, then visit RebeccaCosta.com. Go to our speakers page and reserve a date on our next speaking tour. Let me show you how organizations can adapt to quickly changing ground conditions. After all... 
We either adapt or we perish. The choice is ours. So what are you waiting for? Go to RebeccaCosta.com and book your speaking engagement today. Hi, folks. How many of you out there love to garden? Wouldn't it be nice to grow some of your own food? Or maybe a flower garden would brighten your day. Well, now you can have the pleasures of gardening without all that effort. You don't need a tractor. You don't need a rototiller. All you need is the Knox Garden Box, a heavily constructed portable elevated garden on legs that can virtually change the way you've gardened in the past. The Knox Garden Box can be set up anywhere. Yes, you can place it right on concrete. For those with bad backs, you've got critters and gophers, no space or maybe no dirt. With the Knox Garden Box, the therapy of garden is now the prescription for good mental health. The way to find your fabulous Knox Garden Box is by logging on to KnoxGardenBox.com. That's K-N-O-X GardenBox.com. Or by calling 831-461-9430. Given what's going on in the world, it's more important than ever to save money. Hello, I'm Scott Bedell from Bedell Nelson Harvard Insurance, your allied agent in Santa Cruz. Bedell Nelson can save you money by packaging your home and auto coverage with Allied. We can even help you save on your vacation rental with Foremost Insurance Group. Give us a call at 426-3700 and ask for a free, no-obligation quote. We are Bedell Nelson Harbor Insurance, and we can save you money because Allied and Nationwide are on your side. 426-3700. KSCO presents Dr. Bill Wattenberg. Bed in Santa Cruz. I'm one of these listeners that really is turned off by all your name calling. Great. Tell me what you think would be more appropriate. I mean, you can and make them poop anyway. It's the most stupid word I've ever heard. Really? Where did it come from? Is that from the 1920s or something? Do you know its definition? Blubber butt? Jeez, <laughs> Okay, now look. You got it all out. Now go white before you get it on the floor, okay? Dr. Bill Wattenberg. Monday through Wednesday, 12 to 2, right here. Welcome back to the Costa Report. Our guest today is the co-founder of Real Clear Politics and author of Election 2012, Time for Choosing, Mr. Tom Bevan. And before the last break, uh, you were making the point that this election is substantially different for the Obama organization because he can no longer run on the basis of being the candidate of change and this fresh new face and, and also the first black president of the United States. So, Let's move on to the vice presidential pick for Romney. Now, according to most polls, that doesn't seem to make much of a difference. What's your view? Yeah, I mean, historically, it hasn't made a difference in terms of the outcome. I mean, the last time it really mattered was 1960 when, excuse me, John F. Kennedy won the election by picking Lyndon Baines Johnson as his running mate, carrying the state of Texas. Um, You know, and and most of the polls that we've seen, you look at uh, Romney's numbers don't move very much, if at all, in Ohio. If Portman's added to the ticket, they don't move very much, if at all, if Rubio's added to the ticket in Florida. So I think what the Romney folks are looking at are a couple of things. One, they they want to do no harm. They don't want to pick someone who is going to serve as a distraction in any way. They don't want to raise, you know, questions about ability to serve, as happened with Sir Palin four years ago. They don't want to, you know, have anyone who's got a hint of scandal that the media can kind of seize on and, and, and blow up into some sort of big, you know, again, distraction. For the, for the Romney campaign, the frame for this election is right now it's all about the economy and it's all about Barack Obama's stewardship of the economy. And any day that is spent, any hour that's spent talking about anything else, it's a wasted day for them. So they're, they're looking for someone who, who, again, who's squeaky clean but also can help 
reinforce that message and uh, of, of fiscal competence and um, and that's why you, you know Rob Portman is at the top of the list. Um, you know Tim Pawlenty is at the top of the list. You know they're, they're, those are two men who are on the short list and, and getting very hard looks. I mean we saw this thing come out on Drudge recently uh, the last 24 hours about Condi Rice. Uh, perhaps being on, you know, at the top of the short list. And I, I think that's, that was more of a balloon, if not an outright, uh, you know, goose chase for, for some folks to try and change the, change the subject because of, uh, because they didn't really want to talk about the, the, the attacks that were the Obama campaign was fielding against them on. Yeah, on I think that's a red herring if I ever saw yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're going to see a lot more of that kind of thing. Um, so let's move on to the subject of third parties, such as a Libertarian Party. And despite a lot of complaints about the Republican and Democratic parties, it, it's been very difficult for a third party to get any real traction in our country. And and anytime they seem to be registering in the polls, um, one or the other party begins to launch this campaign of calling them a spoiler and convince voters that they're wasting their votes and the candidate can't win. So what's your feeling about a viable third party and the fact that the press almost deliberately locks them out? And what's your policy about presenting third party articles and polls and things on um, uh, Real Clear Politics? Well, look, I agree with you. I mean, I, the, the, our system is is set up in many ways to discourage third party, uh, you know, runs and and uh, you know, third party runs have have traditionally not fared very well. I mean, you did have you know, you had John Anderson, 1980. You had Ross Perot um, in in uh, you know 92, and 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 it, every four years we go through the the exercise of, of looking at third party and, and this time, especially you had, you know, a group called Americans elect, which was well-funded and had this sort of ingenious new hook for, you know, fielding a third party candidate. They were going to be able to get, get this person on the ballots and they were going to let people vote uh, on the internet who they thought would be the best representative for the ticket. And, and they got a lot of hype. It was written up by a lot of folks in the media as a fantastic idea to sort of reinvigorate the idea of a third party, and it, it flopped fantastically. I mean, they, <laughs> yeah. they 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 got terrible press, man. They couldn't settle on a candidate. I mean, it just all fell apart on them. Mm-hmm. And so you wonder uh, whether, you know, in, in look, I think in this environment, too, especially, <clears throat> it's sort of counterintuitive, right? We've got gridlock in Congress. We've got We've got you know two parties at loggerheads, and a lot of people say, well, that means government's broken, and we need a, a third party. Well, in fact, what it's done is it's really sort of drawn a sharp line and and uh, you know a contrast between folks. And folks have kind of lined up. They say, look, I'm you know I agree with the, the Democrats or I agree with the Republicans, and and consequently you don't see um, you know libertarian like Gary Johnson, for example. I mean, he's not going to register at all in the polls. And and so, as far as our but policy goes, but that kind goes, of polarization in some ways just fuels the gridlock, doesn't it? Uh, well, yes, it does. And 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 in some ways, look, so even we are in a dogfight, if you see two dogs fighting, somebody's got to go get a pail of water and throw it on them. Yeah, but the difference is, I mean, these are these are not fights over you know. Uh, school uniforms and school lunches. I mean, these are fights. About, the reason no, that, that they fight are, over that as well. Well, but the, but the reason 
we are so uh, divided in this country is because we are having big debates about huge issues. I mean, the country faces a fiscal calamity, and you've now got two men who represent two parties who have two drastically different visions about you know, how we go about solving those problems, and they go right to the core of both parties' ideologies. And so it's, it's really tough for a third-party candidate to sort of you know, come in there and say, well, a sort of a pox on both your houses – um, there's a there's a different way of doing this, and I'm going to bring people together because, quite frankly, you know, a, a candidate like that, even if he were to win, um, and and supposedly argue that he has sort of the will of the people and a mandate to go do things, would go to Washington D.C. and absolutely get not get anything done. He wouldn't have a constituency in Congress, and so it'd be very very difficult to uh, for for I think a third party candidate to to be an effective leader and governor in in the current state of, you know, how <laughs> current state of affairs. I would agree with you, except for I think it's it, it depends on whether that third party candidate represents the will of the people. Um, and, and if they do represent the will of the people, which I don't feel the current candidates necessarily do, I think we have two very difficult choices to make. And, and they're very different choices, but they tend to be extreme choices. I really think the American public is is sick and tired of this. They're beaten down, they're tired, they're not doing well, and they're worried about the future of, uh, for their children. And, um, and I, I, I just, you know, I, I talk to people on the street every day, and it is so much worse than our leaders are portraying the economy and, and, uh, and the hopelessness that people have. I, I predict, and I don't know what your polls show, and I'd, I'd be interested to know, but I predict that we're going to have a very low voter turnout. Uh, well, I don't know. That, I think people have given me, I, up. I do. I do. And, well, I, and listen, I feel I, badly I, about that. I agree with you on the point that I do think there has been, and the polling data does reflect this, and, and it's been really sort of over the last, you know, three to four years that we've seen this. I mean, sort of a and perhaps it was because the expectations for this president and the way that he he presented himself to the American people that he was going to be this this postpartisan problem solver. You know, we were going to put away the childish fights of the past and we were going to you know do big things and solve big problems for the country. And of course, that hasn't come to pass. And so maybe it's a, that factors into this. But we have seen among the public a pretty uh, drastic drop in their their level of trust and confidence in institutions. They don't, they just don't think, you know, the countries work anymore. The government doesn't work. They don't feel like the representatives listen to them, understand what their, their needs are, their wants are. And I think and, that and, creates an opening. I think when things are broken <clears throat> like this, it creates an opening and it has historically when we are faced with this kind of hopelessness, it presents an opportunity for a leader, a truth teller, a, a true a person who is truly concerned about the greater good to emerge and that that of course is uh, always the hope now as i mentioned in my introduction real clear politics has expanded to real clear world and real clear sports and you have a booming brand on your hand i can imagine it's a 24 7 job to to uh, keep up with all of that my question to you is how can our reader can our listeners keep up with you and where can they go to get your book uh, well, to go get the book, the easiest way is just to go to Amazon.com if you've got a Kindle or if you've got an iPad or an iPhone, go to iTunes and search for 
Real Clear Politics or Search for the Name, A Time for Choosing. And, and the book, again, this is part two of a three-part series. So if you're, you know, if you haven't heard about it, you want to pick up both, you know, the first two installments, they're only two ninety nine dollars a piece. So, um, we like to think that's a, a bargain. I keep telling people it's it less is than a, a bargain. Starbucks, so. It's a bargain, and I want everyone out to get on Amazon right now while you're hearing us and uh, and go get both parts because I've really enjoyed the the coverage. I think it's honest and it's objective. Um, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. So I'm going to urge our listeners to go out and get your book, and I want to thank you so much for your website and your vision. Thank you, Mr. Bevan. You bet, Rebecca. Thank you. If your station is leaving us after the first hour, our, ne- our guest next week will be Craig Newmark, the founder of Craigslist, who's going to surprise you with his recent analysis of how new state and federal regulations have significantly reduced the number of Americans that are now eligible to vote. And he'll also be discussing privacy and security issues on the Internet. So don't miss the founder of Craigslist, Craig Newmark, next week right here on your favorite news program. Until then, I'm Rebecca Costa, and you're listening to the Costa Report. Are you looking for fresh, creative, and healthy ideas to bring to your table? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, a cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole makes it easy to eat the right foods with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. Whether it's Sunday night family dinner or a lunchtime indulgent with your favorite salad ingredients, let your culinary imagination soar with more than 30 varieties of salad blends that range from sweet and subtle to zesty and bold. For the ultimate in fresh convenience, try Dole's all-inclusive salad kits with farm-fresh lettuces, crunchy vegetables, and all-natural Dole specialty dressings and toppings. To learn more about Dole salads and for inspiring recipe ideas, visit dole.com slash salads or like Dole Salad Guide on Facebook. With so many delicious and convenient choices, it's easy to find nutritious inspiration with Dole salads. Ah, beautiful Aptos, nestled next to the forest in the edge of the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary. So calm, so pleasant. But wait, there's trouble brewing in paradise. The Rancho Del Mar shopping center right in the middle of town is about to undergo some significant changes, and many folks are very unhappy about it. Just how big an area does Safeway need? Will the small businesses be squeezed out? What about the cinema? These are just a few of the many questions to be posed and answered this Saturday on the Saturday Special with your host, MZ. Guests, Charles Eady, spokesman for the Rancho Del Mar Shopping Center, Rodney Hoffner, owner of Ace Hardware Stores and opponent of the plan, Ellen Peary, second district supervisor, is also invited. It's a big, juicy story, and we're going to get you all the answers this Saturday on the Saturday Special with your host, MZ, from 10 a.m. to noon on your Is Bigger Always Better radio station, AM 1080 KSEO. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.